0: James chapter 1, uh, we started the series last week, and uh, man, I love this book. It was so fun studying this week and, and just pulling out the different truths and different things that, uh, that we're going to look at today. Um, but the title of the message is Who to Blame, and we're going to look at verses 12 through 18. Uh, last week, we looked at the first eight verses, and then we're going to skip just a couple and, and go to verses 12 through 18. But last week, what was the word that we talked about? It started with a T. Anyone remember? Yeah, Isaiah. Trials, right? Trials. And what is a trial in life? What is a trial? How would you describe it? Yeah. Something that you go through is typically something difficult, right? This is a hard time. This is something that brings stress and, and it troubles your life. And we looked at how that the reason that these things happen, and why, why does God allow bad things to happen? It's for your own good. He says that he wants to produce a steadfast faith within you that can happen no other way. He wants you to trust him more, and so he he allows these things uh, to come into our life, but we see that God uses these things to make us who he wants us to become, that he makes us more like Jesus through these things, and uh, we saw that that also that we can come to God in those moments that God gives generously and without reserve that he wants to give and he desires to And If we come to him, uh, he'll give us wisdom. And so today, uh, not, we're not going to look at trials, but we're going to look at another T word. And that T word is we're going to look at temptation, uh, the reality of temptation. But how do these two go together? Well, think about it. Trials, it's something that happens typically on the outside and it's a hard situation, Uh, temptation, typically we're going to see it comes from within us. So that comes from our desires, but they're both things that test our faith. They both, there are both things that happen in our lives and every life of a believer, no matter who you are, if you're a believer, then you go through trials and you go through temptations and they test you. They test your faith. Are you going to trust God through it all? But temptation is a reality for everyone. We all struggle with sin we all struggle with temptation. And I love this quote um, that is so administered to me and encouraged me. I want to share with you guys. It's, it's a, from a guy named Alistair Begg. And you're like, that's a really weird name. Yes, it is. He's a Scottish guy. He grew up uh, in Scotland. But he says this, he says, as a result of grace, you can look at it on the screen, we have been saved from sin's penalty. That because of what God's done in our life, we have been saved from the penalty or punishment of sin, right? We, we understand that. And one day when we're with him, he says, one day we will be saved from sin's presence. You guys realize that we're going to be in heaven one day and the temptation to sin won't even be a thing, that you won't even desire or want to sin. One day it's going to be like that. But he says, but in the meantime, we are being saved from sin's power. This is the current situation that we're in. That temptation is a reality, the, the temptation to give into sin is real, but God has given us the power that we should rule over it. In Genesis chapter 4, talking to Cain who, who murdered his brother, God said that sin is knocking at the door of your heart and it wants to rule over, but I've given you the power in order that you should rule over it, that sin should not have a place in our life. And God, through Jesus, has given us the power that we are no longer slaves of sin. But where does temptation begin? Who is to blame for our temptation and sin? Some people, they like to blame Satan. Some people, they like to blame God. And we're going to see today, where does temptation really begin, though? Who is to blame? Who can we point the finger at? And so we're going to look at that today. But uh, look at James chapter 1, verse 12. That's where we're going to be, but first, let's pray. God, we come before you, and uh, Lord, we're so grateful to you, Lord, that you saved us from sin's penalty, Lord, that you took on the punishment that we so deserved. Lord, we look forward to that day, that one day we're going to be with you, and oh, gosh, we don't have to worry about sin or temptation, that you'll take all of that away, that you'll wipe away every tear, and uh, it'll be perfection, and it'll be with you, and we're so looking forward to it, Lord, but we know and we've realized that right now that we struggle, God. That sin is, a, is in our flesh, and it's there, and Lord, it's knocking at the door of our heart, Lord, but we should rule over it. You've given us the power through Jesus, and Lord, we ask that you would just uh, teach us today, Lord, that you would use me as just a vessel, Lord, as your mouthpiece, that it wouldn't be Joel speaking up here, but it would be you speaking to us, Lord, we desire to learn from you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you ready for James chapter one? Ready to keep going through it? Yes? Yes? You guys are quiet. All right, James chapter one, verse 12. Look at it with me. It says, blessed is the man who endures temptation for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. And verse 12, I'm just gonna stop there because I just want you guys to look at this verse. It's the connection between the trials and the temptation. You see, when it says uh, temptations here, uh, the word is translated just temptation, but it actually also talks about what we talked about last week, that you could really read it, blessed is a man who endures trials and temptations, that there is a blessing when we stand up to both of these things and we pass the test in a sense. And so we see verse 12, as a, it's a bridge in a sense to build, uh, to be able to get to both sides. It's a chain uh, in the link. Have you guys ever seen a train before? You know how there's different train cars, but then there's something that connects them? You see, verse 12 is that connection verse, okay? And it says this. It says that, that there's someone who is blessed, the man who endures temptation. But what does it mean to be blessed? Well, think about it. Has anyone ever told you, God bless you? Have you ever said that to someone else? What are you, what are you wishing for them? What are, you, what are you talking about? Why are you telling them, God bless you? Or why are, why are you hearing that? Think about it. They, they want... God's favor on your life. That when you say, God bless you, you're asking, hey, I I want God, I want you to show your favor, God, to this person. And you're saying, God bless you. You want them to be happy. You want them uh, to have that joy from God. And it's something that is favor from God. It's an inner quality of happiness, not dependent upon external circumstances. That is something that God does, and it's a blessing. And, And so who is blessed? Well, it's the one who endures temptation, But what does it mean to endure temptation or endure these trials? Well, it means to withstand and face with courage. It's to stand firm. It's to stand firm by holding your ground, not giving in. Not giving in to what? Not giving in to the trials in the sense of, oh, I'm not going to believe in God anymore because this is hard in my life, so I'm just going to forget it. But then it's also when temptation comes, it's saying, I'm not going to give in to this that I'm going to endure through this. I'm going to stand up, and I'm not going to give in. And we saw this verse last week I shared with you guys, and we won't be there for a couple months, but James chapter 5 verse 11 talks about Job, and he says, indeed, we count them blessed. We consider or count them blessed who endure, who stand up in the face of opposition. And then he brings up Job. He says, you have heard of the perseverance of Job. And we can look to Job as that example of through trials and through the temptation to just cast off everything he endured. And and there is a blessing that we saw for Job that, man, by the end of the story, he has more than he began with. And there is this blessing. And so we see that external testings are to be endured and internal temptations are to be resisted. That we are to remain steadfast under those trials. But when Temptations come that we're to persevere through them, and that in that is blessing. And he says that when this happens, you'll be approved, it means that you'll pass the test. You've made it through. That even though these things were happening, the temptation was real, you made it through. You didn't cast off your faith, you didn't give in to this sin. And there is a reward. There's the crown of life. You see, the Bible talks about a few different types of crowns within the New Testament, a crown of righteousness, a crown of life, and a few different others. But what is it talking about? It's talking about there is going to be a reward when you stand before God. And what's the the best reward of them all? It's the crown of life, that you're going to be with him forever, that hell is death and separation from him, but eternity with him is the crown of life, that it is amazing, that it is eternal life, and it's to be received with joy. Have you guys ever won something in your life? Isn't there such joy when you win something? Like when your name gets called on the raffle, you're like, oh my gosh, I just won. And there's joy in them because you're receiving, you won. In the same sense, this crown is a victor's crown, that the day that you get there, Jesus will give you this, this crown. There will be a reward. He will say, well done, and it'll be because you endured. You didn't cast off your faith. You didn't give in to this sin that you made it through. And there will be that day, though, when trials and temptations cease, that this shows that there's an end, that right now we go through trials. Right now, temptations are real, but we can look forward to that day where we receive the crown. But it, Look at the end of verse 12. I don't want you to miss this. It says, and it's promise, God has promised us to all those who what? To love him. You see, enduring trials and temptations in life is directly related to our love for God. It's directly related to our love for God. Whether we endure through it or not, whether we resist the temptation or whether we give in. You see, 1 Corinthians 13:7 talks all about love in this chapter, right? It's a chapter of love. It says, love never fails, love bears all things. Uh, Love does not envy all these different things, but one thing it says is that love endures all things. And isn't this true? Think about it within a marriage. You have a man and a wife, and they endure through things. That sometimes life gets hard, but because of love, they're willing to endure. Because of their commitment for one another and their love for one another, they will endure through the hard times. That because of their love for one another, they're not going to, the temptation to go, uh, hang out with people they shouldn't be hanging out with you know what I'm saying that they're not going to do that because they're committed to one another they're committed to that love and so love is connected to whether we endure or not will we endure through those trials will we endure through those temptations it's directly connected to our love for God do we love this sin more than we love God himself and if we continually give in to that sin then the answer is yes the answer is we love ourselves more than we love God, and there's something that has to change. And so we see this connection in verse 12. You guys see it? The blessed are those who endure these trials and temptations. But then within this next session that we're going to look at, we're going to see he brings up this idea of temptation. He goes into it a little more. He, he starts from the beginning. And so let's start at the beginning with verses 13 through 15. It's 13, 14, 15, and we'll see this reality of where to temptations begin. So we read verse 12, look at verse 13 in your Bibles. It says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth sin death. And so we see temptation. But what is temptation? What is it really? It's that internal desire to do something you know is wrong. You guys, I know, can relate and understand to what I'm talking about. It's that internal debate. You guys ever seen the movies where there's that little angel, right, and he's telling you to do the right thing, and then the one on the other shoulder, and it's a little devil, and it's yourself, but it's, they're they're kind of whispering in both ears. You guys have ever seen that? Right? There's an inward debate that's going on. That is temptation. It's that, it's that inward debate uh, to tell a lie when your parents catch you in the middle of doing something that you shouldn't be doing. And in that moment of that they catch you, they open the door, they see you do this, and you shouldn't have been doing that, and they see you, there is that split moment in your head of debate. How am I going to get out of this? What lie can I say that they will believe? And there's that moment of temptation to lie instead of Fessing up to the truth and taking responsibility. Or you see that $20 bill sticking out of your mom's wallet, and she's, she's asleep. Your dad's at work. No one's around. She wouldn't even know anyway. She's got a bunch of 20s in there. You just take one. And there's that inward debate that begins. And one side, you say, no, I shouldn't steal. I know it's wrong. And it's like, well, they have so much money. I don't have any money. I want the money. And so that inward debate starts, and there's that temptation that there's this desire within you that wants to do it, yet you know you shouldn't, or whether you see your classmates' homework, and that person's really smart, and they probably have the right answer, and they're not looking right now, and so I could just catch a few answers, and it wouldn't hurt anything, and in that moment of your class where there's all these people, but inside your head, you're almost screaming at yourself. You're like, just do it. No, don't do it, and there's this debate that goes back and forth. You guys ever experienced that? Am I the only one? Yeah? (laughs) What about... Maybe for some of you, this has happened. Maybe not yet, but it will. Someone offers you something to smoke, something to drink. And inwardly, in your head, you know it's wrong. You know what your parents have taught you. You know what God thinks about it. But in that moment, there's a debate that goes on. I kind of want to do it. I would look cool, whatever it might be. And then there's the other side saying, no, I, I know I know, what I, I know what is right. And there's that inward debate that starts. And it's a real thing. Temptation is a real thing. And I know you know what I'm talking about. Whether how big or how small the temptation, it happens for all of us. But who is to blame for our temptation? It's certainly not God. And that's what we see in verse 13. It says that we are not to blame God for when we feel tempted to sin. That, that temptation is not from him. It's not what God gives you or desires or puts in you. Why? Because it's against the very nature of who God is. Remember what we talked about last week. Whenever you're reading the Bible or someone's teaching it and they start talking about something about God, a direct uh, correlation to who God is and his nature, you got to stop. You got to pause and just really meditate and think because it's important. And so we see two things here, uh, two vital, important truths. And you might think they're simple, but they're simple, but very true. And they're good for us to meditate on. Number one, God is not tempted by sin. God is not tempted to sin. He's never been tempted to do evil. It's never looked attractive to him. Why? Because he is the very source of good. He literally can't sin. There are some things God can't do. He cannot lie because it goes against who he is. You see, it's impossible to even tempt God to do evil. You can't pray a prayer of you know, asking God to do something that, that is unrighteous or wicked or against what God has said before, and he's not, he's not going to answer it. He won't do it, no matter how hard you pray. You see, he is untouched by evil. His holiness is something that's altogether better than what we are. And so the thought doesn't even enter his head to do something that's wicked. It's awesome. It's awesome that he's like that. We're not. But because of this, number two, that God will never tempt you to sin. Number one, we saw that God is not tempted to sin, Number two, God will, because of that, because God's not tempted to sin, he's not going to try to get you to sin. He will never, ever make sin look attractive to you. He might test people. He might let the trials happen. But he will never directly tempt you and say, hey, don't you want to sin? Hey, don't you want to do this, even though you know it's wrong? That's never from the Lord. He actually, it's the opposite. He never tries to get you to mess up. He tries to show you how good he is and how the benefits and the blessing that it is to obey and not to sin. And and he tries to warn us all throughout the Bible, all throughout our lives, that God puts people in our lives to encourage us not to. And so don't ever, ever think that this temptation that you're feeling is from the Lord, all right? And but then verse 14, so then if it doesn't begin with God, then where does temptation come from? You want to know the answer? Does anyone know? Where does temptation come from? Where does it start? Yeah. What was that? No, not quite. It comes from you. Now, the worldly things and and Satan, they have a place and they have influence. But temptation is because of you. It's because of your evil, wicked heart. And that's, that, that is straight Bible and that is straight truth that he says in verse 14, but each one of you is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires. And these desires, when it says desires, it's evil desires. It's not a desire for good things. It's, a, it's an intense and an inner craving. It's a lust and selfish, a selfishness within us. And it's a desire for something other than what God has said to do. But look at, he says, his own desires. It's unique. It's unique and specific to each and every person that I don't have the same temptations that you might, and you might not have the same temptations as your neighbor might, that people have different temptations based upon their own desires, our own, the lust of the flesh, the Bible calls it. Ephesians chapter two, verse three says, among whom also we were once conducted, we once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath, just as the others. What is it talking about? Children of wrath, that we are by nature, we are enemies of God because of our very nature, and we choose to disobey him so often. We choose to sin and, and, and these desires, it says that they draw us away and, and they entice us. When it says draw away, this is to lure or to drag away. It's to drag you away. The entice, it means to be baited or to be entrapped, to be seduced. It's to pull you away from the Lord. It's the, it's the same idea. The word entice is the same idea of, of hunting and fishing. Anyone go hunting? Anyone go fishing? Yeah, some, some of you guys? <laughs> um, fishing and hunting is fun, but how do you do it? You you make the bait look attractive, right? You don't put something that fish don't want. You put something they do want. You put a little worm or something that smells pretty rank and something that they want, right? You put another fish on there to get a bigger fish and you put something that you're trying to catch desires. And he says that these desires, man, they, they bait the hook for us, that they, that they pull us away, just how a fish would be enticed to see what's on the hook and, oh my gosh, I, I want that. And so the fish goes for it yet they don't know who's on the other side pulling it up, or how an animal would be attracted to something uh, so so to trap them. You see, what is drawing you away? What is seducing you away from the Lord? Whatever it is, it starts in your heart. Whatever temptations you're facing right now, it's because you have these evil desires within you. It's because of our very sin nature. Yet this is so contrary to what the world tells us. But you have personal responsibility for your own sin. You do. That there is no pointing the finger. It starts with you. You can't blame it on God. You you can't blame it on Satan even. So many people, they love blaming the enemy. They'll say, yeah, I I fell into this sin again. Enemy's working on me hard. And that's true. Enemy, we'll see in a second that he does capitalize on our desires, but you are responsible for your sin. You can't blame God. You can't blame Satan and you can't blame other people. That you are responsible for your own actions, for what you do. And it's because of our heart. It's, it's wicked. The Bible says, Jeremiah 179 I'm going to share with you just a few verses on, on this wickedness of the heart. But it says in Jeremiah seventeen nine, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things. What's the, what's the most deceitful thing in this entire universe? It's man's heart. It's our heart. It's your heart. We're not excluded from it. And it says that it's desperately wicked. Who can know it? That we can't even know the state of our own hearts. We don't know how evil we really are, but the Lord does. And that's why he sent Jesus. And that's why he wants to redeem us because he knows how, how messed up we are. Even Jesus said it. Matthew chapter seven, verse 21. Look at the screen. It says, for from within, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, all these things, foolishness. And he says all these evil things come from someone else. No, it says all these evil things come from within. And they are the things that defile a man. It's from our beginning that we are born. You want to you want to talk about born this way? We are born this way. We were born with sin. Psalm 51.5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. And no one had to teach us how to sin. Oh, this is how you sin best. No, it came naturally, and we naturally disobey God. We have to have a, a constant intentionality to not sin against God. But here's this. This is what temptation is, all right? You ready? Temptation is when your desire, your evil desire meets an opportunity. It's when your evil desires in your own heart, when your desires meet an opportunity, then you choose, and that's temptation. We'll see in a second that temptation is not sin. It's that, it's that moment of that you want something that's against what God wa- wants, and then it's enticed. It's, you are given opportunity to act on that, and there's that temptation. And there is this progression. There's this progression that it starts with the desire But it's enticed by all kinds of things, including the enemy that we'll see in a second. And then it soon becomes sin and it soon brings death. Look at verse 15 again. We see this progression. It says, when this desire that you have, when it's conceived, it's talking about like a pregnancy. It says, when it's conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin, it, it is full grown, it brings forth death. And so we see this progression It says that desire has conceived. It's talking about a baby. But that desire, when it's left unchecked, it'll grow and it'll have a baby. What's the baby? What's the baby of desire? Our evil desire. It will produce sin eventually. But as you guys know, it takes uh, two to tango. It takes two to have a baby. Uh, Someone can't have a baby on their own. It's just not how it works. And same in here. That our desire plus the enticement and I believe that the other person that's involved in this is, is Satan. That he will capitalize on your evil desires. That it starts with you, but then that gives room for the enemy to come and to work. That he will set traps for you to walk in. He'll present you with many opportunities. That he knows and he sees your desires, however he might do that. And then he lays the trap. He gives you opportunity. And that's where temptation comes in. But you see, true temptation is something that's attractive. It's something that's actually tempting. That your temptation, whatever it might be to do this, is because you want to do it and because it looks good to do. And he'll make it seem attractive. Just like fishermen, they, they, they go to the bait store and they find the best worms and they find what will work. What's going to get the fish on the hook? Satan works in a very similar way. He's gonna, what is going to get you away from God? That's all he cares about. What is going to get you to sin and separate you from your own father in heaven? And he'll do anything possible. And we see that sin comes from that. But I want to get something very clear and make sure that you guys know. Temptation is not sin. That to have a temptation for something is not sin. That if someone is tempted to drink alcohol, but they never do. They're tempted to get drunk and get wasted, but they never do. Are they alcoholics? no is it is it wrong for them to have that desire yeah and they need to work on that but that desire is real it's there you see the temptation is not sin but it's giving into the sin sin is sin sin is when you give into the temptation it's when your desire combines with the opportunity and then you step into it It's like i have this desire there's the opportunity i'm going to set into that then that's sin but the temptation the reality to desire something is not sin and same with uh, homosexuality that the desire that maybe you have that attraction within you towards uh, someone of the same sex, that's not sin. But to give into it, then it becomes sin. To not fight it, then it becomes sin. And the same true with maybe, maybe you're attracted to the opposite sex. And you, and you want to do things you shouldn't yet. Is a temptation sin? No, it unless you give into it, unless you meditate on those thoughts, unless you, unless you put it into thought and you put it into action. But the temptation is not sin. Does that make sense? See, sin is when you choose yourself rather than choosing God. And in this context, it's knowing that what you're about to do is absolutely wrong, but doing it anyway. Knowing that this will hurt the heart of God, but I'm going to do it anyway. See, there's some sins that we just, we just do on accident. We don't even realize it. See, that's, that's one thing, and it needs to be dealt with, of course. But then there's the sin that the Bible calls transgressions. It's when I see the line, I see that I'm not su- supposed to cross over this, but I'm going to choose the sin rather than choosing God right now. And so you do it. But remember, it's, it's a part of his own desires. It's unique. We all have the different things. But the reality is, is that you never have to sin, though. That the temptation is there, but you do not have to give in. God makes a way. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says this, No temptation has overtaken you such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, when that comes, it says, will also make the way of escape the back door that you may be able to bear it. You will never, ever be in a situation, don't fool yourself, don't deceive yourself that you have to sin right now. Oh, the desire is too great to do this. This is too good of opportunity. If I pass this up, it'll be done. No, you don't have to do it. Don't let anyone tell you that you have to sin. You don't have to. It's your choice. Will you choose yourself or will you choose the Lord? And these moments come day by day, don't they? There's moments day by day where you're going to either choose yourself or you're going to choose the Lord. But the temptation is real, but he gives a back door. And so we see the birthplace, right? We see the beginning of where temptation comes from, how it leads to sin and eventually death and separation from God. And we see that. But this next section, we're going to see a contrast. We're going to see a contrast of who God is and what he gives us. But we are to get this right. James wants us to get this right. Look at verse 16 through 18, and we're going to see how how we need to get this. Look at verse 16 in your Bibles. It says, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Don't be deceived. He says, every good gift And every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. And of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And so he starts off and he says, he says, don't be deceived. Don't be misled. Don't believe something that isn't true. He says, I want you to get this. He says, don't believe, as Donald Trump would say, the fake news. Don't go for it. It's fake news. It's, it's not real. That sin starts with you. That temptation starts with your own desires. That we are not to be deceived about that there is good within us. That the only good in us and around us is from God. The only good is from God. You see, society says that we have to believe in ourselves. That we have to believe that somewhere deep down that we are good. And that the way they get to heaven, the, just, the goal is to be a good person. You see, but without Jesus, you and I are incapable of being good. That the only good that even people do, that even our unbelievers, it's only because God made them in his image. It's only because of God's grace. You see, instead of saying that, that oh, we just need to believe that we're good and come together, no, we need to beg God and ask that he would give us just a little bit of his goodness. You see, because he is the source. He is the source of everything good. And he says that, he says to make no mistake about this. He says, don't be fooled, that in you is nothing good. And nothing good can come apart from him, that he is the source and everything good either is directly or indirectly from the Lord. And he says that he gives uh, every good and every perfect gift, and it's from above. It comes down. Good, it means to to have value to it, something desirable. desirable has some positive qualities to it it's a gift he says every good gift that anything good is just a gift from god that's why we can thank him that's why when we come and we see an amazing sunset we can say oh my gosh thank you lord because it's good that when we feel the air conditioning when we walk into a room we don't thank the air conditioning guys even though we're thankful for them who do we thank we thank god oh my thank god so cool in here so hot outside when you feel the nice crisp coolness of the ocean on a hot day. Who do you thank? Thank the Lord. Because we recognize that everything good comes from him. Even those that don't believe. Matthew chapter 5 verse 45 says that you may be sons of your father in heaven. This is Jesus speaking. And he says, he says that you would be like your father. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust. You see, whether you believe in God or you don't believe in God in this world, you will still benefit from his creation. Now, you still get to go to the ocean. Now, there are, there is blessings, of course, that you miss out on and ultimately eternity. But everything good that you can point to in this world, give God thanks. Anything good you see in a person, it's only because of God. Anything, you, anything, anything and everything. You're thankful for your hamburger that you're going to eat later on? Thank God for it. Why do you think you pray before your food? because you're recognizing that it's from the Lord, and this is something that is good. But it says that it comes down from above. This, is, this has the implication of heaven. This, it, comes from, it comes from the Lord. And and the awesome thing that we can hope in is that he will never change. That though in this world we're going to face trials, we're going to face temptations, and it'll be different, and it'll look different, but the Lord will never change. His goodness does not go back and forth. It says the Bible says that in verse 17 that, the Father of lights has no variation or shadow of turning. You guys ever seen a variety pack of something? Right, there's different kinds. Well, there's a variety pack of muffins, and there's blueberry and chocolate and banana nut or something that no one really wants. Lemon. Lemon. You see, God is not like a variety pack, where one day he's going to be really nice to you and love you, and then another day he's going to be super angry with you. He, he doesn't have mood swings. You guys know anyone that has massive mood swings? I got a few people, don't, don't tell me out loud, don't want to know. But you know those people. At one second, they're like super happy, and, and, and then you, you say one thing, and it changes the whole mood. And oh my gosh, now they're upset and crazy. I can definitely think of some people in my life. You see, God is not like that. God is not like that. God does not have mood changes. He's not fickle, that he is one way all the time, and he's never different variation he has no change to him and then we get a word word picture he says no variation but he also says no shadow of turning you guys ever seen a shadow before yeah how long do shadows typically stick around in the same spot they change pretty quick you guys ever seen a sundial what they used to do to tell time why do you why do you think they use a sundial it's because it's because the shade would move because of the position of the sun and so when he says that there's no shadows of turning, it's, just a, it's a word picture for you and I to understand that God is the source. Just like this, the, I mean, the sun has shadows because of certain things. I don't know, but I don't know where my illustration is going, but God, God is the source. And so he doesn't have a shadow. He is light. There can be no shadow within God. There's no changing. Hebrews 13:8 says, "Jesus Christ is the same yesterday. He's the same today." And he is the same forever. He is truly unchanging. And when those temptations come, you can recognize and believe that it's not from God. And it's not what he desires. Because he desires your good. He, de- he gives you everything that you need. And when those things come, God is not to be blamed that we shouldn't look to him and say, this is God doing this to me. No, we should look to him and thank him for all the blessings. Thank Him for the biggest blessing of Jesus. And that's what we see in verse 18. He says, of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth, that He is good to us. It says that He's, it says that he's of His own will. This, this means uh, to desire with intent, that He made His decision, that He made a choice. What, what choice did God made? Well, John three sixteen, The choice that He made was to send His Son to us that we we might be born of God and not of the flesh, that we might have everlasting forth. This is of his own will. He made this decision, and it says that he brought forth. The word literally means what we were talking about earlier, uh, to conceive or to give birth. That What is the picture of of giving birth? It's kind of a crazy one, but what comes out? It's, It's a life. It's something amazing that there was pain, that there was a lot, of, a lot of pain. But now there is this new precious life. And it's a picture of what Jesus did that there was a lot of pain on the cross. But what came out of that was life for you and me that, it, that God brought us forth. Have you guys ever heard the term born again? We have been born again. That we don't remember the first time, but we do remember the second. And it's born not of flesh, not of blood, not of water, but of the spirit, the Bible says. John 113 says, You and I who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And God has brought us new life. That the best and most amazing act that God has given us is through Jesus, that we can become new life, new creation. Second Corinthians five seventeen says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. That Jesus is ultimately that good and perfect gift that comes down from heaven. That Jesus was once in heaven, but he chose to come down, and he chose for you and me. So that this this sin thing that we deal with daily, that he could understand, so that he could take it away, so that one day we wouldn't have to deal with sin, that we wouldn't have to deal with its punishment or its presence. He wanted to set us free. And he did this by the word of truth, the Bible says. This is the, the message. This is the gospel. That Ephesians 1.13 says, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, that we have been saved and, and God is good. That is, we deal with this temptation thing now, but we one day will not. And the Bible says that we become the first fruits. You're like, that is really weird. Look at verse 18 the very end of it. He says that we have become the first fruits of his creation. What does that mean? Well, back in the day, Old Testament times, uh, there there was a regulation. There was a law that God had. And he said, if you have a farm of any type, if you have something that you're harvesting, when the harvest comes, I want you to bring the first fruits. That means the first of the harvest, but also the best of the harvest. That there is a special place of honor, Given to the first fruits. And God said, I, I want you to give to me in this way. But now, God, we can see in the New Testament says that you and I, as believers, that we are his first fruits. We are that place of that God would give special honor, that we are God's most prized possession, that we really are. The Bible says that we are his masterpiece. That we are his most prized possession and he has given us life. He has given us the power to reign over sin and death that he broke the chains of the grave, that he broke the chains of sin in our lives. And so this whole temptation thing that we're talking about today, it starts with us, but it can end with God. It starts with our hearts, but God can come into our life and he can make it a whole lot more bearable, that he can give us the power to say no, to resist, to endure the temptation. You see, but it's a lot easier to fight something when you know where it's coming from. Imagine fighting a ghost, I guess Ghostbusters, but it'd be pretty hard, right? I mean, I, you see, when you know the source of something, you know where it starts, you know how it works, it's a whole lot easier to know how to even fight this thing. And what the world tells us is something completely different that we're inherently good, but we're not. And we need to know that. And that's why we need Jesus. We need him so bad. You see, the devil is real, and he's roaming around, the Bible says. And he's baiting the hooks for us to take, and he's setting the traps. But our hearts are desperately wicked. That though there is influence and impact that he has on us, and man, does he, does he do that. That we need Jesus, though. And, and so we saw, uh, just as recap for today, uh, we saw that that there is a blessing when we are steadfast in trials and that when we persevere uh, through temptations and that there is an end to this. There is a reward. There is that blessing. But our love for God directly relates to our willingness to say no to sin. It just is. It's how it is that do we love him more than ourselves or do we love our sin more? You see, temptation though doesn't come from God. Remember that, that it comes from uh, it comes from our evil desires meeting that opportunity, and then and it's our choice. It's, it's our, it starts with us, but we don't have to sin, that there is that way of escape. It's awesome. I'm so thankful for it. Now, there's, no, there's, there's no reason we have to, that God's given us every, every reason not to, but we got to look to him. We got to get it right that, that everything good comes from God, and we must recognize that, that he is unchanging in that, and that he is never not good, and that he's so much better than our sin. He really is. God is so much better. The things that he desires for us are so much better than the sin that we might desire. That though we were once slaves to sin, God's broken those chains in our life if you're a believer. And so you have the power, but are you accessing it? Are you willing to resist the sin? And we'll end with this. Matthew chapter 26, verse 41. This is Jesus talking to the disciples. One of the last things that he's able to say before he goes on the cross, he says, watch and pray, lest you enter into what? Into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Flesh is so weak. Romans chapter seven describes this this battle between the flesh. Paul talks about how, man, the things I want to do, those are the things I'm not even doing and the things I don't want to do, those are the things I start doing. I think we can all relate to that. That is something we we go through, and man, sometimes the desire is so strong, and it feels like we have to, but you don't. Jesus has paid that price on the cross, and if we would just watch and we would pray that when the temptation comes and the opportunity comes to step over the line, that through prayer, through supplication, through seeking the Lord, that those things would be broken in our life and we wouldn't have to. That though we live in the flesh and we still, we still live in this body and there's sin in this body, that our spirit would become stronger than our flesh. So, Lord, we come before you and we thank you just for this time and your word. And God, we thank you that you do make that way of escape, that you give us a power through Christ, Lord, that through you there's nothing we can't do. That apart from you, we're, we're done, we're donezo, Lord, but in you, Lord, we got everything we need for living a life of godliness, a life uh, that you lived. Lord, we know that we're not perfect and we'll, we won't be that until we're with you and you glorify us, Lord. But we ask in this, in this meantime, Lord, that the reality that you've saved us from the power of sin would be a reality in our lives, not just a thought, not just a Bible verse, Lord, but we would not let sin reign in our lives that we, we would look more and more like Jesus. And what did Jesus look like? He looked like a perfect representation of you. He was. He was you, Lord. And so, God, you would make us just more like you today. In Jesus' name, amen.